right. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. It's good to see you all. Um, as you all know, we have been in a series called Come and See. Um, for the last six weeks, we have heard so many stories and learned all sorts of things about how God loves people and how we can then go into our circles, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and how we can share that same love with the people around us. Deborah, could you turn me down a little bit in the monitors? Thank you. Now, I've received so many different emails, so many different responses from people in our church who are taking what we've been learning on Sunday and applying it. They've been going, they've been loving people. They've been going, they've been praying for people of peace for God to reveal in their lives. And it's been super encouraging. Just go, go and ask people, what has the response been? Now, I know, church, we've only got two more weeks left in this series. Um, but even though the series might be coming to a close, I encourage you, don't stop here. Don't stop. Continue praying for God to reveal opportunities for you to share his love to the world. Ask him, who are the people in my life that I can invite to come and see the love of Jesus? And as a church, let's do this as a church family. Let's keep going and be the light of the world for Christ. Now this morning, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, do we have any online shoppers in the house? Yeah, a few. All right, all right. Now, have you ever ordered something online and, you know, you're so excited for it and it's coming, you're tracking it, right? It left the, sh it's coming and you're waiting, you're waiting. It finally gets to your door. You open the box and inside is just not what you ordered. It's just not what you imagined at all. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Right? The product did not match the description on the website. The result was not what was advertised. How could that make you feel? Maybe a little annoyed, a little frustrated. You're like, oh, I got to order this again. But you're a little duped now, right? You don't really have much trust in the company. It's not very credible. We all know that feeling. Now hold on to that feeling for a moment. What about this? Have any of you ever uh, had a nickname growing up? When I was in high school, I don't know about you, but I, that was kind of a big thing in our friend circle. We all wanted a nickname. We all wanted to be known for something, and then someone would, like, dub a really cool nickname for us. And so I had, a, I had actually two nicknames, and I'm going to share them with you this morning. Um, the first one was actually Chipmunk, um, and that was because of my big cheeks, and you can see it now. It's still very true. I wasn't offended. But the other one might surprise you. The other nickname slash label that I had among my close group of friends in high school was fake nice. Mm -hmm. it's, I know, they weren't very like smooth or clever with the wording of it, but it was, just, it was fake nice. Now, I got this nickname because I was known for being a goody two-shoes teacher's pet people pleaser, right? I was very, I was a very good kid, guys. <laughs> very polite, very nice, very sweet, right? But it was once I got behind door, once I was with my really close friends, then you would really know what I thought about things. 
then you would really know how I felt about a certain person. And so one day, you know, we're in a group of friends and we're starting to talk about, wow, how great Caitlin is at being fake nice to people. And we all laughed about it because we thought it was, we, we were proud of that. We thought it was pretty cool that I was able to just be fake nice. I don't, I don't know. And I'm sad to say, really, it took years for me to realize that that is a very sad thing to be known for (laughs) and a very sad thing to be praised for. But essentially, the Caitlin that I was putting out to the world, um, the, the nice person that I was showing off to people on the outside was not consistent with the person that I was on the inside. My thoughts didn't match up with my actions, my, uh, my words. My words didn't match up with my actions, and my life definitely did not reflect the gospel that I so boldly proclaimed to the people around me. The product did not match the advertising. Now, why do I tell you this story this morning? Well, here's the thing. In this series, right, we're inviting people to come and see Jesus, right? We're inviting them to come and experience his radical love, his grace, his mercy, his hope, hospitality. We're sharing our stories and our testimonies to point people to Jesus. But you know what? Something that I realized is that when we make the invitation to people to come and see Jesus, they're not just looking at Jesus. They're looking at you. They're looking at what you say with your mouth and then how you live your life and they're seeing if things line up. They're seeing if you practice what you preach. If you walk the talk in the way that you think, you act, you talk to your kids, you serve and love others. They're looking at if what you do on a Sunday morning in church with your Sunday best matches up with how you live Monday through Saturday. They're watching. And let me tell you from experience, people can smell phony from a mile away. The people that we're trying to share Jesus with can smell phony from a mile away. And just like that package that wasn't quite what was advertised, just like I was not as nice as I claimed to be, The same goes for followers of Jesus. For if our lives don't reflect the gospel that we preach to others, they'll start to notice very quickly. See, powerful witness, we're talking about witness in this series, powerful witness for Christ happens when our words and our lives align. Okay, that's the big idea for today. I'm gonna say it again. Powerful witness, Effective witness for Christ happens when our words and our lives align. When what we say, what we preach, what we do matches up with how we live. So how do we do that? Well, like always, Jesus is going to teach us just like he taught his very own disciples. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 13. And just like we've done in the last few weeks, we're going to read this story and we're going to look for two things. Do you guys remember the two big questions that we're asking? Number one, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about how God loves people? And number two, how can I share this love with people around me? Okay, it's what is God doing 
And then what can I do? Those are the two big questions. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13? All right, so for some context, um, in John chapter 13, he kind of kicks off Jesus' last few days before he goes to the cross. It's often referred to as the upper room discourse. And these few chapters contain Jesus' precious last words to his beloved disciples. And it's, it's kind of like an intimate moment with close friends. And Jesus shares some very important words. Let's read it together. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I don't know if you guys grasp the the magnitude of Jesus' actions here, but let me tell you, what just happened was a very radical thing. Washing feet back then was an act of, of cleansing. You know, it happened generally before you ate, before a communal meal. Um, back then, you know, they kind of reclined at the table, so the feet were like very close to where the, your, your face and your food was. So you definitely wanted those to be clean. Um, and the ones who did this job were typically the servants. It was a job reserved for the lowest of the low. Why? Well, it's because who wants to touch feet, right? Anybody want to touch my feet? Yeah, maybe Stephen. I don't know. But no, I certainly don't. I remember one night, actually, when Stephen and I were first dating, uh, we, we had dinner, just finished dinner, and wanted to relax a little bit. So, you know, I take off my shoes, and I put my feet up. And um, all of a sudden, he gets quiet, and he looks at me and smiles, you know. And very gently and very boldly, he whispers, um, your feet kind of smell. <laughs> and after a slight moment of embarrassment on my end, and actually shock at his bluntness so early on in dating, uh, I laughed, and I agreed because he was totally right. I mean, my feet, my feet smelled <laughs> Why? Because feet are smelly, right? You walk around all day in the same shoes. By the end of it, you're probably all sweaty, stinky, and gross. And that combination, man, is not pleasant. You know what I'm talking about. Those of you who play sports know double what I'm talking about. And let's be honest here. Who really washes feet? Who really gets in the shower and, you know, washes their feet? I'm not talking like a little rinse rinse here. I'm talking like really getting in there, scrubbing the top and the bottom and in between the little crevices of every single toe. If you said yes in your mind, you're a liar. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe you do. I don't know. But no, I admit I don't do that. It takes too much time. You know, it's pretty much clean anyway. The soap kind of trickles down from your body, gets to your feet and it's clean, right? No. 
Now imagine how much worse this would have been back then when everyone wore sandals. You're walking in sandals on the dusty dirt roads of Israel. It's been a long and hot day of ministry, nonstop walking, by foot, traveling from place to place. They're muddy, they're filthy, they're sweaty. And finally, it's, it's dinner time. It's time to eat. And they come and they have their final meal with Jesus. And there's no servant in sight. No one there to do the washing of the feet. And so what, what, what happens? Well, Jesus gets up. And right in the middle of the meal, he says he lays aside his outer garments, wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets down on his knees. And with his bare hands, he begins washing the dirt off of their stinky, sweaty, filthy feet one by one. I mean, that is crazy when you think about it. It's completely unheard of. For Jesus, a rabbi, a person of great authority and status, someone who's well-respected, who they actually call Lord and master and teacher, to get down on the floor beneath them and to do the job that is reserved for the lowest of the low, that is radical. That is unexpectedly countercultural. And church, this is a small taste of what he's about to do in the coming days for all of humanity. So we answer the question, church, how does God love people? He takes the lowest place to serve them. He takes the lowest place to serve them. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, so he's going down the line. He's washing their feet one by one. And then he gets to Peter. Peter's like, no, 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 no way, Jesus. I cannot let you touch my feet. You will never wash my feet. I mean, that's a servant's job. It's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of insulting, honestly. I mean, he's probably thinking like, man, this great teacher who he's seen do miracle after miracle, heal people, raise people from the dead. The Messiah who has come to save them all is going to do something so demeaning, so low. No way. Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus simply like, oh, okay, here we go again. Peter, you don't understand now. You don't realize what I am doing right now, but soon you just wait. This all makes sense. You see, the the disciples didn't know this, but a few days from that very moment, Jesus would actually take an even lower place, an even more demeaning and humiliating place. In just a matter of days, Jesus would be betrayed, arrested, put on trial, beaten, tortured, mocked, spit on, and sentenced to die the cruelest, most gruesome death on a cross reserved for the worst of all criminals. And why? Why would he do that? Well, it's because he loves us. He loved the world so much that he took the lowest place. He let go of all status, all privilege, all power to become a servant and to humble himself to the point of death on a cross. Church, how does God love people? He takes the lowest place to serve them. 
And at the end of the day, I mean, it's clear to them, it's pretty clear to us, Jesus was the real deal. He walked the talk, he practiced what he preached and his words matched his actions until the very end. Let's pick up in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, this was a lesson that the disciples still very clearly needed to learn. In fact, right before the washing of the feet happened, um, Luke recalls that the disciples had actually been arguing about who among them was the greatest. Right? They're smack dab in the middle of dinner, just fighting over who's the best. <laughs> me, me, me. Who gets to be first? Right? And they think they're, they're great. They got all the answers. And Jesus is like, no, you've got it all wrong. Let me teach you again because you don't quite understand. And then he shows them and he washes their feet. And by the simple act, he shows them what it's all about. Being followers of Jesus is not about being the greatest or being the first. Having it be all about you, having status or power. No, it's about others. It's about loving people. It's about washing their feet. Being willing to take the the lowest, humblest place in order to serve others. And just like that, Jesus answers our second question for us. And this one is very plain and simple. Jesus says it right there. So church, how can we share this love with those around us? Well, we wash people's feet. We let go of our own desires, our own needs, and you put the needs of other people above yourself. It's not about being the greatest. It's about others. Now, you might be thinking, well, what does that look like in our day-to-day life in 2021? What is washing feet? you want me to actually wash feet? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe someone wants that. We don't really do the foot washing thing these days. But maybe it's something like sacrificing your time, your comfort. Go out of your way to help someone who needs it. Or maybe it's volunteering to do the job that is behind the scenes that nobody wants to do and being okay if you never get recognized for it. Maybe it's taking the time to listen to your kids instead of telling them what to do all the time or letting go of the need to win an argument with your partner, but really just listening to them. Maybe it's not gossiping about difficult people or frustrating coworkers or bosses, but showing patience, showing grace instead. Maybe it's not saving up a ton of money to splurge on a vacation that's choosing to donate it, to give it away. I, I don't know. The possibilities are really endless. And honestly, it'll probably look different for each person here. And that's for you to decide. That's for you to discern. And that is your homework, okay? 
but I'll give you a hint. In all of these examples I gave, there's a pattern. There's kind of a letting go of some things. You sacrifice your time, your comfort, your expectations, your desires, your money, whatever it is, in order to consider the needs of the other person first. You take the lowest place to serve them and love them like Jesus loved us. Now I want to revisit the question of why. Why is this relevant? Why does Jesus even spend the time to wash the disciples' feet? Teach them to go and do the same for others. Why? Well, I think it's because he knows that witness for him, witness for the gospel is powerful and effective when our words and our lives align. And he also knows what happens when they don't. When I was a sophomore in college, my friends and I, uh, we spontaneously decided to go to SF at 10 p.m. at night. I can't imagine doing that now, but that is what we did. And so somehow we ended up at Fisherman's Wharf. We got hungry. We stopped by at In-N-Out, and, you know, we're just sitting there enjoying our meal. Um, We actually start talking to two people sitting next to us. It turns out they were Christians. They were actually part of the same Christian fellowship that I was, but just at a different school. And so we got a lot in common. I'm, I'm sharing, I'm talking to them about my faith, about church, about being, you know, the outreach coordinator. I was on leadership that year, so I was telling them all this stuff about ministry, and it was really good stuff. And all of a sudden, a homeless man who had been pretty vocal outside the restaurant, he comes in and he sits at our booth right in front of me. And I swear to you, I feel like the whole place just got quiet. It was like the whole place was just watching what I was going to do. And you know what I did? I froze. He was talking to me and I don't remember exactly what he said, but I, I remember it was something about his life. And he pointed at my drink like he wanted it, like he wanted some food. He wanted something. But I just froze. I didn't say a word, honestly. And I just I wanted to get out of there so badly. And so I just kind of like pushed my half drink and drink over. And immediately my friends and I, we got up and we left. As soon as I was outside, it felt like everything hit me like a ton of bricks. I felt awful. You know, it's kind of like that moment where the words of Jesus came flooding into my mind. You know, I never knew you, you know. Like, whatever you did for the least of these, all these verses keep coming in, you know. And just like, man, what if that were Jesus? You know. Here just I was five minutes ago talking to these strangers about outreach ministry and my faith and how much I love Jesus and not five minutes later I I go and I leave and my actions did not match up with my words my attitude my my thoughts and my heart did not reflect the love of Jesus to them right and I realized I was all talk and no walk and I'll remember that story to this day (laughs) Why is this important? Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you, 
love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know. By what? What does he say? Is it by how good our gospel pitches? By how smart we sound? By how well we can debate theology? No, it's by how we love one another, how we live out the gospel in our lives, how we treat other people, put their needs above our own, how we walk the talk. Whether we like it or not, people are watching. And that doesn't have to be a scary thing. It doesn't have to be something filled with so much pressure. Oh, I got to be perfect. Oh, I got to do this. I got to be on all the time. No, 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 no. It doesn't have to be that way, but it's actually a good thing. Jesus says that we are the light of the world, right? What do you do with a lamp? What do you do with that? You don't hide it. You don't put it under something. No, you put it on a stand. You put it on a stand so that everyone in the house gets that light. You let your light, your love, your life shine before others so that they may see Christ in you. And that everyone will praise God our Father. Powerful witness for Christ happens when our words and our lives align. So just as we are called to proclaim the good news, so must we live a life that reflects the good news. That everyone might know that we are his disciples. Now in closing, I I just want us to reflect on... uh, a few questions. I mean, I already left you with your homework, right? That is for you to, to discern, maybe talk to your family, talk to your spouse, talk to the Lord about how you might be called to be washing people's feet. But maybe even before that, I just, I want us to honestly reflect on, on these questions right now. If you call yourself a Christian, if you've been changed by the gospel and you preach the good news with your mouths, Does your life accurately reflect that? Would anyone know that you were a Christian if you didn't tell them? Could they look at how you spend your time, how you treat your friends, how you raise your kids or spend your money, how you love difficult people, what you're like in public and what you're like in private? Could they look at all of that and tell that you love Jesus? Are you living your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you answered no to any of those questions, it's okay. I did too. And Jesus says, just come to me. Take it to the Lord. I'm not saying I got it perfectly. I mean, remember, I was the one being known as fake nice. Um, I was the one at In-N-Out who did that. And there have been so many more times in my life where I felt like, man, I just, oh, I messed up. It's okay. We're not going to get it perfectly every time. But what I've been learning is that it does take work. It does take a little bit of practice. It takes discipline and desire and much grace. And we're not going to get it perfect right away. But what helps me get back every single time And I think a good starting place for each of us is knowing that we have a God who did it first. We have a God who loved us first, who modeled it for us first. 
who stooped so low to wash our feet and went to the cross to give us new life and who empowers us today to share that same love with the people around us. When I don't have the strength, when I fail to live out my faith in word and deed, when I feel like a hypocrite, I look to Jesus and I just pray, Lord, forgive me. Make me more like you. Help me to live a life worthy of you. Give me strength to love people sacrificially like you do. And you know what? God is faithful to answer. So church, may our words and may our lives align so that we might become powerful witnesses for the beautiful and life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for you and how you washed our feet, that you stooped so low and went to the cross that we might have new life in you, Lord. God, sometimes we don't, our, our words and our lives don't match up. Sometimes what we say, what we learn about on Sunday is different from how we live it out. We're not perfect. We need your help, Lord. As a church, we just ask, Lord, would you make us more like you? Would you help us to love like you do? Would you show us grace when we fail and help us to try again? So that all the world would know that Christ is in us. That all the world would know that we are your disciples. And that through our lives and our words and our actions, we would point people to you. Help us, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray.